Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from Forks, Washington, it's Romeo Mora. I'm sorry, like apparently I travel a lot. <laughs> I'm from whatever city. I'm from Gotham. I'm from Forks. And no matter what, I'm West always... Baltimore. <laughs> right? You're our on-site researcher for every podcast. Uh, I'm the roaming, I guess, co-host. And also, some of these places aren't even real, but we still right. send you anyways and hope for the best. Exactly. <laughs> Well, the reason I bring up Forks Washington is because we're going to be talking about The Twilight Saga. The Twilight Saga is a series of five supernatural-themed romance films based on the novels by Stephanie Meyer. The series follows Kristen Stewart as Bella Swan, a teenager who gets romantically involved with members of the rival supernatural factions of vampires and werewolves in Forks Washington. The Twilight Saga also stars Robert Pattinson as the brooding teen vampire Edward Cullen, and Taylor Lautner as the loyal and hot-headed werewolf Jacob Black. The series ignited a a wave of young adult adaptations, none of which reaching the box office success that accompanied Twilight. Joining us to talk about the Twilight Saga is Max Hirsch. Max, how's it going? Hey, it's good. How are you guys today? Good, good. I was up late last night making sure that I felt prepared. And even though we're starting now, I still don't feel as prepared as right. I wish I was. Um, when it comes to Twilight, I'm not as well versed as a real Twilight fan would be, or even as well versed as people who have a a love for vampires in fiction. That would be me. That's yes. where I fall. <laughs> yeah. right. And that's why I'm really excited that we have you on the show today. This is kind of different for us because we typically have guests who bring us shows. But with Twilight, Romeo wanted to do something that was more romance themed for the Valentine's Day weekend. So we fell on Twilight. We had to see if we can get a guest for it. And fortunately, Max, you and I have a mutual connection. And that's how we got connected here. So why did you decide you wanted to do Twilight with us? Uh, I had just finished doing a rewatch of Twilight over my winter break while I'm home. And last semester, I actually wrote this whole big grand paper on uh, Dracula's influence on vampire fiction. Mm -hmm. So I've always been a huge vampire fan, but Twilight has been on the brain in particular the last few months. So the opportunity just sounded far too grand to pass up. What got you interested in, into the franchise? Or rather, did you read the books first or did you see the movie first and then go back? back to the books after. I was very young when the first book came out. Mm -hmm. I was very involved in the sort of fandom sphere Tumblr lifestyle when I was mm -hmm. in middle school and high school. And so I saw the first movie and the second movie. And then after that, I went back and checked out what the books had to offer. My mom was in disagreement. She thought that I wasn't old enough, but I don't follow the rules. So I read the books <laughs> after that and then finished out the movies as they came. <laughs> I remember this clearly. I had a friend who told me, you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? I'm like, yes. Then you should read Twilight. Needless to say, we are no longer friends. Oh but <laughs> even though it's nothing like Buffy, I do appreciate Stephanie Meyer's unique take on vampires. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall anything similar to how she constructed her mythology. She had a very unique take on vampires, especially with the thing that she catches the most flack about having them sparkle in the daylight, uh -huh. I think was probably necessary for the way that she 
she constructed her her vampire lore because Bella needed to meet Edward in a school setting and all of these people needed to be out in the day. Carlisle, their father figure vampire, works as a doctor. And so I think it was a good way to meet compromise between complete death and sunlight and absolutely nothing. It's not the only series that allows vampires or vampirish figures tolerance in the daylight. Cassandra Clare's City of Bones in the Mortal Instruments series, they have daylighters, which are like vampires, except they right. can walk around. I believe the cast House of Night also allows vampires to walk around in light also. So Stephanie mm-hmm. Meyer, as much as many people would hate to admit it, kind of did something for the accessibility of vampires and for the sake of widening the story and not just limiting it to nighttime for right. creatures. And as a unique take on the relationship between vampires and sunlight, because usually in most, a lot of mythology, I guess it's more commonplace, especially with the um, Vampire Diaries and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and even True Blood. A vampire walks into daylight, they burn up and turn to dust. Where here, there's a unique obstacle why they can't be in the daylight. Yeah, it's more about secrecy than death. The vampires take the concealing of their existence so seriously in this universe that the sparkling is just enough to create an issue. But at the same time, it distinguishes them to the reader as something almost superior to humanity because Mm -hmm. of it. It creates like an idolization. You're literally like sparkling like a gemstone. I think it's kind of cool. That was an opinion I kept to myself for many, many (laughs) years. Because when I saw that, it kind of reminds me of Emma Frost and from the X-Men series where uh, she has a diamond skin. And I'm like, oh, we have a whole world of snarky like Emma Frost out in the world. That's great. Yeah, I didn't really like the connotation that came with sparkling. And when I watched the movies, I thought, okay, this isn't that bad. Why why is it why was it so over exaggerated at the time that these movies came out? I just didn't really understand that. So you watched the first movie. What was it that stuck with you after watching it? I had been a vampire fan and a lot of things that I know now in my adult mind weren't necessarily there. Unfortunately a lot of the behavior that Edward and Jacob both exhibit in the early films are borderline abusive, definitely manipulative in a lot of ways. But at the time, I was like, I like Robert Pattinson. And that was about enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I had a huge crush on him. I had a huge crush on Edward. And I really kept it to myself for a number of years because, you know, my online persona was like, I can never be public about liking someone with Uh such a poorly written female protagonist. It has to be a secret. I felt so guilty. And Uh as the years went on, I stopped being guilty about the self-indulgent things that I like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what sucks people into Twilight a lot is that same type of self-indulgence that you get with a franchise like The Bachelor. You don't like that you like it, but you're really entertained. It's a good guilty pleasure, in other words. As much as I have a lot of critical issues with the franchise, if Twilight's on, I'm not going to lie, I would write it out. I wouldn't say it's like comfort food, but it's not as horrendous as many people make it out to be. You don't have to worry about a lot of the real world implications that I feel like other vampire stories tackle. It is what it is. It's just a simple love story between a human girl and a vampire and a werewolf. And it makes no apologies for it. Yeah, I mean, I also have plenty of issues with both the characterization within the series and things that were did in production. And every time you find something bad out, it stings. But whenever I see it on, you know, I turn into a little kid. It's on the TV immediately. I think you sort of have to take it with 
with a grain of salt and right. enjoy it for the cheesy, overdone, romantic self-insert thing mm-hmm. that it's supposed to be. Did it sort of shape how a relationship would be? Because that's what I worry about with the books and the movies. How are young fans going to relate what they see or read to how a relationship should be at their age? I would like to think at this point that the information is out there with resources like TikTok, which a lot of young people are on their professionals mm-hmm. and older people talking about their experience uh, and getting the word out there about how you should be treated in a relationship as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to think that people will be okay now. But I think when it had originally came out, those resources were a lot more limited. So I would be worried mm-hmm. between Jacob's behavior, which I find to be overly violent and explosive. Right. A lot of turns definitely reminds me of a bad ex of mine, not a compliment. And Edward on the stalking and invasiveness and the uh, exclusion of truth in the relationship is equally as bad. I think they both get a little bit better as the series goes on. They had a number of directors once they moved on from Catherine Hardwick to the next two with Chris Weitz. It eased up, but in the beginning, it was worrisome. But you're right. This is something that we're, because like you mentioned, these great resources, there are a lot of teens that do end up in these type of relationships. With these books and these movies, it does romanticize that it's okay to go with someone that is completely as a bad temperament or someone that is right manipulative constantly lies about their intentions i don't know if i ever have a daughter whether or not i will let them read this or what kind of talk i would have with them before they either watch the movies or read these books because it makes me nervous about the impression that we're giving to our preteens and teens about what's acceptable in a relationship. Yeah, I feel like for children that are coming into existence beyond 2020, I think Twilight might be beyond its cultural moment. It's mostly significant that to people that experienced the movie releases and book releases real time. And it will always have a legacy. But I know for other cult franchises like Harry Potter, younger kids now don't even really care. And I think it might be the same way. There are other, dare I say, more interesting. I don't think that's the correct phrase, but there are other newer vampire series. There are other newer young adult romance series that I'm Uh sure will capture people more than wanting to go back to movies made in the 2010s. Yeah, and I think that's something I've noticed about pop culture in the 2000s and the 2010s in general is that we kind of move on from them really quickly and we don't really look back. There's even like horror franchises that that have way Way more lasting power right now than a lot of these young adults books from the mid 2000s like Halloween and mm-hmm. Aliens you know they just keep mm-hmm. making new ones because yeah they're IPs they're recognizable IPs but I think Twilight eventually will get re- remade but right. at the same time it's like oh, no. are people even going to care oh you, oh, you don't think it might it, it will get remade it's not that I don't think it'll be remade it's the thought of it being remade that has oh. caused me to say oh no you yeah, know I think you're right David because there are a lot of shows 
that I thought, oh, they'll have a great lasting power that will go on and people talk about. And I realized, no, they're not. Like shows like The Good Place that we covered earlier in the season, like as soon as the show went off the air, no one really kind of talks about it. <laughs> it's I mean, we're a year like removed from Game have... of Thrones and people oh don't even God. think about there's, it. But there's a reason yeah. people don't think about it. And it's because True. they tanked it after they ran out of right. written material. True. <laughs> I think like culturally though, we're in this time where we kind of have a very short attention span because we have so many avenues of entertainment that everyone's trying to make a quick buck. So we just have so much content that we never have, we don't have, I don't think, time to stay with the franchise and really think about it for something else that comes out next. I feel like a lot of franchises won't have the staying power, say, as Star Wars. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because I feel like it came at a time where it had room to grow, where it was passed down from one generation to the next generation. Kind of like a milestone. The legend grew, where nowadays we're just bombarded. There's no room for these franchises to breathe. Yeah, that's also the problem with uh, this like new culture of streaming services, is that a lot of series don't don't get a chance to create that legacy. Netflix routinely cancels shows after the first or second season. So many series I loved got canceled after one or two seasons, especially mm-hmm. I think I'm hurt most by the get down. Probably one of the best made uh. series. I've lived in New York my whole life. My, my dad grew up in the circumstances of the show and it was so well done and it ended for such foolish reasons and they do it time and time again. So a lot of franchises don't get a chance to shine like they used to. And I feel like the ones they pick to continue producing are often the wrong choice. Absolutely. So let's get into some of these main characters. Obviously, Edward made an impression on you, or yes. I should say maybe Robert Pattinson as well, but well, what is it about Edward? Edward was just so cool. Growing up as non-binary person, I figured out my identity pretty young, um, but trying to figure out what I wanted to be and like what I wanted to look like wasn't as easy. But I remember always being so envious of him in this role because he was always so on top of it and the hair was perfect and the outfits were perfect and the part of me was was so jealous i was like how how do i get that and the answer was first you grow a foot taller <laughs> that never really worked out um but i i think that was part of why i was so so into the idea of Edward. And in the books, he's made out to be like even more of just like an Adonis-like perfect and by the standards of people who really like skinny guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's interesting to me when I was researching is that Robert Pattinson wasn't even the first choice to play Edward. He actually right. had to go out of his way and fight for a chance to even be considered. And, and eventually... he didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Because you hear Robert Pattinson completely like just crap on this franchise but to be clear that's kind of robert pattinson's personality because there's even already been stuff about the batman where he's like work out i'm not gonna work out what are you talking about i don't need six-pack abs to be batman (laughs) I, 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 i think that that's a good thing that goes pushing industry standards what they do to men who have to play superhero roles is unacceptable to me um and also i feel like batman's reliance on gadgets has been downplayed in the past films and maybe yeah. they'll be doing more of that. But yeah, he he likes to crap on series he's been in. I'm not sure any of the three main actors in the Twilight franchise came out having a wholly positive experience. Just 
just based on like the really strong opinionated and I don't have any more middling words to say about the fan bases and what went on at the times of the release of the movies. But it's definitely an interesting position to be put in as a young actor. But at the same time, they all walked out with enough money to never take a job they didn't want again. Thinking about like Kristen Stewart's personal life, the how she went through because she later came out. Out of everyone, I feel most bad for her because she was under this microscope and she started this as a teen. It's really difficult to play a character like that that's sort of supposed to be a stand-in for a watcher who is romantically interested in one of the characters that Mm -hmm. Bella is dating. It's a a lot of pressure for her and the the way they wrote Bella isn't the most interesting thing they could have done. So I feel even worse because she got a lot of the criticism for the writing, which wasn't her fault at all. In the book, she had more of a full human life. Her life didn't solely revolve around Edward Cullen. Her in the movies, she she literally has no interests. Right. Yes. Like, she's just moved to the town. It's natural that maybe she she didn't do well at her last school and she didn't have any friends and she just moved here. I, I can totally take that bait. Right. But the fact that she doesn't have books that she likes to read or games that she likes to play or a TV show she likes, a sport that she likes, it just feels totally bizarre. Well, I'm just that. stunned that they allowed Bella to be this bland and that everything not only is just handed to her nothing feels earned she didn't earn her friends she didn't really earn edward she doesn't even earn like the trust of her father there's so much going on with bella that bugs the hell out of me (laughs) they were going to change it too they originally there there were a few rewrites of the screenplay and some of them had her as like a sports star which i feel like would have been a little bit more interesting and also would have made her much better candidate to become a vampire later you find out that she's a shield and she was kind of born with that power and destined to become a vampire, but there's no real rhyme or reason to it, especially in the film. So that they made a lot of wrong cuts. They did, because I remember in the books like, there was a lot of cooking for like, and taking care of Charlie, which I kind of missed. The relationship between her and her father was kind of missing. Not to say that the character Charlie isn't any less, because Charlie wasn't a big part of the books to begin with, but it would have been a great payoff by the time like Breaking Dawn happened where she said about leaving her father that if we had more time with them and that relation that we had in the novels that would have been a good payoff. What are your thoughts on Jacob Black? Jacob Black, interesting character. Mm-hmm. Hemently hated him originally <laughs> reading the series because he was in the way. <laughs> right? Um, I, I have grown to understand a little bit more especially with the rumors I guess never truly truly confirmed but pretty much confirmed about who he's based off of it checks out as to why he acts one way Uh, I've grown to appreciate him in certain degrees kind of as a grounding force and in later films when he starts to be a good sport Uh, I definitely prefer that version of him to the one that is like I'm flesh and blood Bella I'll never die I don't know how he didn't realize (laughs) that she doesn't care he's okay I, I am a larger fan of his tribe mate Seth Seth Clearwater is the star. <laughs> I absolutely love him, and I love Boo Boo Stewart, who uh, plays him. Really? I didn't know there was this much love for Seth among so many yeah. people. I need to hear more about this. Seth is the exemplary, like, good supporting male friend who doesn't respect anything in return. He's just there to support you and be 
a good friend. He's the role model of what you want to look for in a good friend, in other words. And it's a little tragic in a way because he, he's a little bit young to be involved in the political and romantic drama right. of the franchise. But he cares so much about the people who he cares for that he's willing to put himself and his life in the later films on the line anyway. Mm-hmm. So before we move on to supporting characters fully, I want to know what you think of the casting. If you were to play casting director, would you have cast them in these roles based on what you imagine in your head while reading the books? The biggest downfall was casting Taylor Lautner, who is a, a white man, even though he is tanned, he's a white man to play a Native American character. <laughs> One of my major problems with the franchise is how they gave no credit or financial compensation to the tribe that Stephanie Meyer had used as inspiration. But yeah, they should have cast a Native American actor to play a Native American man. And then the poor guy, they threatened to recast him after the first film if he couldn't get buff and he had to go through that same kind of superhero treatment. So oh, I, I, I didn't even know that. That's messed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were threatened to recast him. I thought he <laughs> was the... already buff when the first movie came out. No, no. <laughs> no, he had, no, he had like long hair the whole movie. I yeah. liked him in the first movie. I was like, hey, this kid seems kind of cool. He seems nice. Yeah, you know? he didn't cause problems yet. He was just like <laughs> yeah. introduced. That's why he lost in the end because he didn't get in on Bella early. Right. Because Edward made the first lasting impression he won in the end. A lot of the other casting was very roundabout. A lot of people who weren't the original consideration for the role ended up with the role. And I think in the realm of the Cullens, that was a good thing. I really love Ashley Green as Alice, even though she's a lot taller than Alice. A lot of fans took issue with that originally. I had read. Yeah, I love Kellen Lutz as Emmett. He's just like himbo fodder. Absolutely perfect. Right, right. (laughs) Even the casting for Charlie. He looks exactly like my Uncle Frank. It makes perfect sense. (laughs) Did you ever buy the chemistry between Bella and Jacob, between Kristen Stewart and Taylor Lautner? My answer to this is multifaceted. I buy the male best friend falling in love Uh with Bella after spending so much time with her. I definitely got his side. However, I think Bella's attraction to him on the other side was more based off of maybe subconsciously feeling like she had to be because he had done so much for her. He had fixed those bikes. And it's something that that happens to plenty of of women that that I know in the past. And you don't even realize you're doing it. And he's good looking. It does not hurt. Plus, the dad likes him. It's a lot of factors that may have led to her finding a sort of weird, misplaced attraction toward him. But I think in the end, it's very clear. There's even a point where the tent saga uh, within Twilight, where they're in the tents, (laughs) where it's very clear that she cares about both of them. But she she states outright, I love you both, but I love Edward more. And that's what it always was going to be. Okay, you just blew my mind because that's like, I didn't think about that. That's amazing. I've now changed my whole opinion. It's not amazing when it happens to you. I I know, I know. But but in terms of, I know, but in terms of the relationship between Bella and Jacob, that never, for some reason, crossed my mind, the unrecreated love thing. The way I felt like it was written, that she was in love with both characters, but the way you put it, yeah, I can see the unrequited love aspect from Jacob, where from Bella, she just loves her best friend. It's more like a familial love than an actual romantic love. I feel stupid for not realizing this until now. <laughs> Touched on the supporting characters. Who are your favorites? Supporting characters. I, I said earlier that I, I love Seth. I right. also love Alice. I feel like she's the most accommodating towards Bella. Her and Carlisle probably are the most accommodating 
gravitating towards yeah. Bella throughout this process. She especially is sort of aware that her her brother is a little bit volatile. She cares for Bella very strongly as a friend, and she makes it very clear, even in the second movie where Edward just decides I'm going to disappear because I'm angry for a whole movie. <laughs> she's the one who finally contacts Bella to put her out of her misery and help her realize that things are okay. Mm -hmm. And I also think that she, you know, because she's prophetic, she adds a really interesting level to things. Yeah, out of all uh, the colons, I think Alice would also be my favorite because they kind of gave her the most to do out of, well, actually, they gave Rosalie quite a bit in the, in the third film. perspective. Yeah, oh, in, in the third film. I kind of like yeah. where Rosalie was coming from, how she didn't even want Bella to be a vampire because yeah. she said, like, you know, it's not for everybody. I didn't choose this. And I can kind of see where it's like, you're better off not being a vampire than being a vampire. I, I was glad that at least one of the colons right. took that side because it would have bugged me a lot if they were all just like, well, you're part of the family now. We're just going to make you a vampire. Whereas it should be so much more conflicting than that. And well, granted and, that and Edward I, did kind of push back sometimes. He was like, right. you should be afraid of me. You shouldn't want anything to do with me. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think about that. But Rosalie, I liked Rosalie. I liked Alice. Alice is probably my favorite out of the colon bunch. Until the Volturi pretty much demand that Bella becomes a vampire, I feel like Edward is still pretty against it. He loves her, but he he's consistent in saying, you shouldn't want this. Right. But I think they're all kind of resigned to her becoming a vampire and joining the Cullen clan just because Alice saw the future and that's what's going to happen. Even though her visions are subjective, depending on what decisions someone makes at the moment. Yeah, they can change. But I do love the fact that Rosalie is the one that's saying that this is a curse, which is the same sentiment that Edward has made over and over. Being a vampire, being cursed with eternal life isn't all what it's cracked up to be. And maybe his stance has now softened because he now has a potential mate that he can spend all the, all eternity with. Yeah, I think it's it's hard for him because the rest of his family is like all coupled up. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's that third wheel, Edward. <laughs> That's a good point. That brings um, me to Jasper too. He's very interesting. I think there's a lot of disappointment surrounding the choice to make him a part of the Confederacy in his right, backstory. Right. I wish they changed that in the films because yes, me too. It just annoys me. Anyone part of the Confederacy just grosses me out. It does. I'm I, sorry. I feel like there were other ways to have him suffer at the hand of someone manipulative who turned him to do their bidding that Let, didn't involve him being part of the Confederacy. Or just have him switch sides. He's part of the Union. Exactly. Like, like, it's really icky and it's unfortunate because him as like the newest vampire in the bunch is important to the story and getting that backstory is a little disappointing. It's a little bit offensive to modern people. <laughs> people in the South who have lived without that stance for their whole lives at this point. I have issues with all the Cullens is they're <laughs> from certain eras. It's like they completely abandoned like who they were, where you would think they would carry some semblance of their human lives forward. They do that to Edward when they're going to get married and he doesn't want to sleep with Bella until after they've tied the knot. And he says that it's a traditional 
value. I think that's really the only instance you see of them carrying their past era. And that sort of like one of those plot holes that just my mind as a viewer just can't get over. Or the fact that we don't know a lot of their backstories in, within the films. If you've read the books, you know all about Alice and her connection with James that mm-hmm. was completely glossed over. We got Rosalie's because I'm sorry, that's probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole franchise. Rosalie's um, backstory is yes, so amazing. Bad. But we know nothing about Esme's background or Carlisle, which I feel like with Carlisle's background, I feel sort of shapes Edward's belief in who he is as a person about his soul that he's then conflating onto like Bella. Carlisle was involved with the Volturi for a number of years. They just barely gloss over it. They have him in that one painting in the film. And she goes, is that Carlisle? And he goes, yes. And that's like the end of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) give me the spice. What happened? (laughs) Right? Right? The Volturi are so cool. When they first introduced them at the end of the second film, I was like, I want to know more about these people why aren't we hanging out with these people you know right <laughs> michael well, sheen is fantastic jane is a whole mood that i subscribe to <laughs> like, jane may be my twilight spirit animal i don't know what this is about me as a person but dakota feeney can do no wrong i do like they presented <laughs> them as this looming threat throughout the movies and then it comes down to this final showdown in the last film but still there's so little screen time involved with them that I just wanted more because I wasn't getting a lot from Bella (laughs) and uh, the love triangle, to be quite honest, that I was like, can we substitute some of this boring material that you have with this love triangle for what's going on here with the Volturis? So here's a fun little fact. I believe the novella, The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner came out just before Eclipse. And there's this whole subplot which added material to the film about what Victoria was doing because of that novella. Apparently... And they alluded to this in the film that Jane was sort of in cahoots with Victoria to get rid of Bella and the Collins that would have added more spice and would have built up more of a threat of who the Veltori were if they included in the film. There were so many moments in the films where the camera just hangs on Jane and you're like, is she going to do something? Is she going to go rogue? And nothing happens. And you're just... Right? It's Dakota Fanning and yeah. she is amazing. Even in, a bit... Fanning. Yeah, right. Even in a bit part, she's steals like the scene. Her and Michael Sheen. <laughs> Her and Michael Sheen steal the scenes when they're in together and they play off each other so well. Yeah, totally agree with that. So what are your thoughts of the Volturi, Max? The Volturi are an interesting force. I agree that they're not explored enough in the film and I think that it's lacking a little and that an entire society answers to one group. That always felt a little off to me, but I understand that it was likely a choice of convenience for Meyer. I think that the way that they're portrayed as so unforgiving and strict about their laws is unrealistic with any person's knowledge of how any government works ever. There was very little disagreement within them, and I would have liked to see maybe more of that being explored in the film, especially because they had such talented actors like Dakota Fanning and Michael Sheen on that team. But instead, I feel like their existence was mostly to be a ticking time bomb threat for Bella and Edward. And then in the 
final films a more physical threat to all of the characters that you you've come to love so i have to agree with you guys overall there should have been some more character development and more exposition regarding them you're right they're set up as this ultimate bad force when you have all the other covens sort of coming together to bear witness for the Collins. they talk about like oh they're bad like they're secretive like they purposely clean out covens to get special members and of course arrow wants alice for her ability to see the future and the whole time they're going to right like deal with them right but instead you have so many instances where the cullens just turn a blind eye and it bugs me like i want to like give them the benefit of that like yeah they're still good people but yeah at the same time you cannot argue they're complicit with this world order what are your thoughts on that i feel like that's definitely an issue for a group that's supposed to be the protagonists in young adult fiction in almost every other series it's very clear that you have to fight against the man and the fight against the man was not for a higher cause here in other series you see dare i mention the hunger games and the i was gonna mention it (laughs) (laughs) you see a fight against the capital not just because katniss and Peta wanted to survive that's the first book it's fine but it goes far beyond that in trying to tear down the system that is killing innocent children every year and exploiting workers and all of this stuff. In Twilight, that fight is really only boiled down to the survival of this one person and this one clan, and nothing is ever done about the way they treat people and the way that they have been running the like vampire society or vampire world, which is clearly mm-hmm. dysfunctional, especially when you see them trying to hunt down supporters of the Cullen clan, and they're going into alleyways and people are saying, I'm not going to support them, I swear, and then they're killing them anyway. Yeah, there's something wrong there, and it lacks the rise up YA attitude that I would have wanted. Right, and I have the issue with the end of Eclipse. I'm just shocked that they didn't put more of a fight to protect this teenage girl who didn't have a choice to becoming a vampire. And you would think that Carlisle, someone who spent so much time with the Veltori, his words saying that she's our responsibility would have more credence. But no, they go for the kill. So you're clearly setting up this showdown. You're setting her up to be this hero. And then when the time comes, nothing happens. Where's my Mockingjay moment? I also feel another plot hole with the Voltori is that they are so strict about who knows about the vampires and who becomes a vampire and all of this stuff. But at the same time, there's seems to be no regulation on killing for feeding. The Cullen clan are vegetarian or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so they only draw from animals. And that's one thing. But the fact that other vampires like James and Victoria's group are outright killing people and then just letting towns boil it up to a bear attack, it requires that vampire, that clan to be very careful. And uh, I feel like that carefulness was not shown, nor was it addressed by the governing authority of the vampires at all. I want to shift over to werewolves. I feel like I'm in the minority. I love Leah Clearwater. I feel like she gets the short end of the stick both in the films and in the books. And I wish in the movies they weren't had did her dirty. Leah is definitely pseudo villainized. And I feel bad. She she did not deserve any of that. I really don't think she did anything wrong. She acted in her best interest and later on will act in the best interest of the survival of Forks Washington. I think Bella comes to not hate her, which is about as good as, you know, we we're going to get. She's the victim of the toxic masculinity that's within the pack. 
this book series does not do men justice. <laughs> I can't believe those words came out of my mouth. Yeah, like, I, I feel like a lot of the men in the franchise are boiled down to a fan service sort of stereotype. And uh-huh. all of their attention, even not as Bella's love interest, somehow ropes back to Bella, protecting right. Bella, concerned about Bella's relationship with the person that they're involved with in the love triangle. Like 99% of the characters just don't have any depth. The men were screwed on that end, where at least we got the Rosalie backstory, which was a little more interesting. (laughs) That also goes towards her high school friends. Like, all Eric and Mike Newton, we knew about them is, they're all kind of punny for Bella. Their main point in that first film was, who's gonna ask Bella out to the prom first? And even Mike in the second film is all about getting that date with Bella, and even at Bella's wedding, Mike was like, well, I lost Bella, but he's still drooling over the other vampires. We know nothing about this guy. Oh my God. When they go to the movies, it's so terrible. (sighs) Oh God. (laughs) Why would Bella not speak up for herself? Because she's horribly written. I'm sorry. I forget. I forget. That would require (laughs) Bella having a personality. (laughs) She just. I'm sorry. I expect more. (laughs) She says nothing to say. Literally when Edward leaves, there's a montage of her sitting in her room and the months passing by. Like, is that all she did was just sit in her room? The girl does nothing. Like Max mentioned earlier, she has no interest. It is much worse in the book. I think it's time to talk about some of the high points of the series. I like every third act of this movie. I like the fights. I like the birth in Breaking Dawn Part 1. I like the fake out (laughs) final battle. It all looks okay. It's all entertaining enough for me for someone who's had to sit through those first two acts where there's a lot going on that I just don't really like that I'm not connecting with at least it build up to something in every movie that I could at least be entertained by I also agree I enjoy a lot of the fight scenes I think it becomes more interesting when you're you're watching a larger battlefield whereas the one-on-one fights are a little less promising it's kind of just like the loss of a head or something like that but the, the larger fights are interesting I think one of my favorite scenes in the franchise and many people I'm sure will agree with me is the baseball game I'm obsessed with the baseball game I think about the Jasper Cullen bat flip every single day it, it, it's it's so cool <laughs> I'll admit it I might have swooned a little we were all taking a sudden interest in baseball uh, <laughs> that moment right? I really like to see Bella's interactions with supporting cast I think those moments really interest me when she's talking to Emmett Seth to Leah instead of the main characters and getting some new perspective those moments also interest me I'm not a fan of the birth scene because it stresses me out I also love the gathering of the other clans and learning new characters powers especially Rami Malek's character he played that role phenomenally the introduction of the power was was very cool I forgot to ask you about that so you being interested in vampires the way you are what do you think about the inclusion of some of the vampires in these films having their own special power this is nothing that I am unfamiliar with as a player of Vampire the Masquerade. It's pretty common for vampires in that game, which I think is significant 
significant enough at this point to have different powers based off of their, are we also clans, their bloodline or clan, I'll say. Yeah, right. So it's another interesting take on vampires that Meyer hasn't done alone, but she was, again, kind of bold to make this choice as someone who is in the spotlight for vampire fiction. I think that it made for an interesting ending to the series, and it helped her tie up the thing I mentioned earlier with Bella being a shield, and Mm -hmm. that's why she was supposed to be a vampire all along. So I I thought it made it interesting. I think it's cool. I'm sure many people disagree. It's not classic Mm -hmm. in terms of vampire lore, but it's cool. Right? Let's see. uh, Any Um, other high points? This is more of an overall for the series, a selling point of that aforementioned self-indulgence. Like the overall drama of the series, there's something a little bit addictive about it where you can kind of just like forget exterior struggles and be really involved with this supernatural love triangle. They do a good job at heightening the sense of urgency in something that really never had to be urgent, but they made it urgent. One of my favorite things about this franchise is when we spend time with the werewolf pack, especially at their meeting where they're talking about all the legends, which Stephanie Moore does a better job in the books, which I wish more of that was peppered into the films, which I also have mixed feelings about a white woman culture appropriating another cultures for entertainment purposes. That's a whole different story. But I did enjoy my time with Bella and the pack on the reservation. And I wish we had more time there. It was fully explored. I always Uh, felt a little weird at one point. I don't remember which movie it's in mm -hmm. where she's on the reservation and Jacob is like, we're having a meeting. She's like, oh, I'll go. And he's like, no, we wanted you to come. I don't know. It felt a little bit like Bella, like invading that space. Like even though she was invited, I don't know. It didn't feel like the natural course of action. Right. Um, I agree. That to me is another situation where it's like Bella gets invited to something that she never really earned the trust to be invited to. When they all know she's going to become a vampire. Yeah, I I do really enjoy the time that we see the pack talking amongst themselves and Mm -hmm. with their own dynamic. The couple of scenes on the beach discussing Bella. I wish there could have been more discussion about other stuff. (laughs) Which I wish I could have had more of those scenes with the Cullens when it wasn't about not having it to be about more like Bella's life and mortal danger where they were just hanging out. We got a glimpse of that in the first film, but nothing ever since. Because every time we spend time with Bella and the entire Cullen group, it's about, okay, Bella's in danger. How do we save her? I'm like, no. And to Stephanie Meyer's credit, we do get some of those stories. Um, I also would have loved to see more of what makes being a vampire and what makes being a werewolf good. Mm -hmm. We're constantly seeing the danger. We're constantly talking about the drawbacks. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You should stay with me for this reason. You should go with them for this reason. But we never really see a truly positive understanding of vampirism or of being a werewolf. They're both kind of looked down upon by the characters that... And the author. Yeah, and and the author. So much of vampire fiction is the the Lestat grandeur of I'm rich, I'm hot, and I'm never getting older. (laughs) And we miss that. And then with the werewolves, we see their power, but I feel like they're clashing heads so much that you never get to see them be all strong as a united pack until maybe the very end. So is there one film that you would show someone to get them interested in Twilight? I think that my favorite film in the series is probably Eclipse. I don't know if the first film is where it's at because of the weird abusive behavior that we see. And I wouldn't want to show them the Uh ending films because 
because it spoils so much. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like Eclipse, you already have Edward and Jacob introduced, and most people in the English-speaking world know those names by now, so it's not going to come as a total surprise. So I think I would go with Eclipse to try to pull someone in. I agree. I agree agree with that, too. Were there moments when you started to have your doubts, or at least what would you define as doubts when watching the Twilight Saga? Depending on what a drawback is for you, that will define what parts of the series you don't like. I know there are plenty of people like my dad who is really in it for the cool fight scenes. And so going through all of this teenage romantic mumbo jumbo throughout the beginning of the series would kill a viewer like that. And that's someone who would be most interested in the Breaking Dawn with Mm -hmm. the biggest draw draw drop of all time with the fake fight. But they would see all of the romantics involved as a drawback and prefer it just be more about the politics and the fighting. Inversely, there are people who would maybe prefer to just see the love story and would be more interested in the new moon and eclipse and early Breaking Dawn part one parts of the franchise who don't want to see all this fighting and really couldn't care less. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of viewers are in it for the romance more than anything else. The thing that I think should turn everyone off is the scene at the movies, as we all agreed earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, is there anything from the books that you wish were included in the movies? We were talking earlier about the lack of exposition for Alice's backstory and Mm -hmm. her tie-in with James. I think it would have been really cool to see flashbacks to her original turning and what happened to her. She was horribly mistreated in a like a mental facility. Mississippi, I believe, right? Mississippi, Alabama, one of those down there. It would have been cool to see some of that. And we were talking about more Carlisle exposition. I, I would have liked that. Or Esme. Like, we didn't talk about Esme, who is yeah. just there to be the mom. She is. You can yeah, almost that, cut her out in the movie entirely. Right? And-, <laughs> and you'll never and you'll never blink once, which is unfair to the actress, because she's a really good actress and other projects that I've seen her in. Yep. It, it's unfair to the character, because, like, if I was in that position, I would not be satisfied just being forced to mother other slightly younger vampires. She went through a lot, too. Her and Carlisle ending up together from the way that they frame her backstory is another thing that makes them seem kind of meant to be because she gets hurt as a teenager and Carlisle is already a doctor by then and he treats her. Oh, I forgot about that. And then he comes back in later in life. She's lost her husband who it wasn't an arranged marriage, but it might as well have been uh, with an abusive husband. And then she almost dies in the birth or right after the birth of this child of this dead man who abused her. And so Carlisle bringing her back to life. I really love the tying of those two characters. Uh, before we move on to the next section, I just want to uh, give a couple shout outs here to two characters, Jessica Stanley played by Anna Kendrick. I just yes. love Anna Kendrick. I, I can't not mention her if she's in something, you know, like she's great. She brings a lot of life in that first movie for me. And I love she forgets she's in the franchise. That's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And another one which completely threw me off when I figured this out, Angela what? Weber played by Christian Serratos, who people will know as Rosita from The Walking Dead. But I didn't even recognize her. I was oh, like, oh my god, god, that's her. I just can't believe I got duped by the old adage of, we'll just put some glasses and comb her hair differently and you won't yeah. even recognize but, her. <laughs> there wasn't much screen time with her. So I can see how you can sort of overlook that I was Christian Serrano's because unfortunately like all the human characters, there's no depth. The thing that kills me the most about Bella, before we move on, re-watching it recently, I had this discussion with my dad, uh-huh. is about how she has to lie to her dad so 
much about, you know, what's really going on and is pretending to drive and go see her mom and stuff like that when not even close to the truth of what's happening. And I don't know how she didn't just tell him, especially in those early films where she doesn't really know the consequence of someone knowing about vampires. I guess I'm pretty close with my dad. So but I would have just been like, hey, dad, I know you're not going to believe me. And it sounds crazy, but this is what happens. And then I would tell him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the issue I also have, too, is her disrespect of Charlie. I could never imagine disrespecting my parents the way she does. Well, there's also to the degree where it's like, what did Charlie even do wrong to deserve such disrespect? He didn't like he didn't do anything wrong. He's like not the best dad, but he's trying his best. He obviously hasn't had custody of Bella in such a large capacity like this before the film. And so he's trying to be a dad and she's not letting him. I I could have never gotten away with the stuff she got away with in that film. Go to Italy. Oh, my God. (laughs) So we sort of answered this question earlier, but let's go ahead and ask it for just in case something else pops into mind. Let's say someone doesn't want to commit to the entire series. Do you have any recommended viewing order to help with the experience? If you want to cut down as much as possible, you do Wikipedia, read the first two films, watch Eclipse, and then like the second half of Breaking Dawn Part 1 and all of Breaking Dawn Part 2. If you want to look at this film franchise as a time capsule type of viewing experience, you might want to see Twilight because it is the movie that launched a thousand YA adaptations. I'm thinking that someone who doesn't want to spend a lot of time in the movies probably isn't interested in the beginnings and wants to jump right into like what becomes the main plot line. But for the optimized experience, I would say the first movie is. Yeah, and I kind of like the establishing shots that she had a force because that first film, you get a sense of what type of town this was and the adjustment that Bella was struggling to make in this town. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do like that. And I think it's nice to get a few snippets of those really iconic scenes that even people who haven't seen the films Mm -hmm. know, like the I know what you are, say it, say it. Uh, um, all from the first film. I, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Like that whole like apple kick scene is kind of dope. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it is kind of is iconic because occasionally I will come across a meme of that scene of Edward kicking the apple back up to his hand to get to Bella. And I will give credit to Bella for actually doing research on vampires to kind of come to the conclusion yes, that, that Edward gave me some faith in her. She had to get books. Yeah, I, I would be lost without Reddit to answer every single question I What a horrible time. (laughs) I'd be lying if I said that in researching for this podcast, I don't use Reddit. Okay. Do you need other material to enrich the franchise viewing experience? We did certainly talk about the books. I've been waiting for this. Oh. Okay. As I mentioned earlier, but I haven't mentioned since we've started officially recording, Twilight is really heavily tied to My Chemical Romance. It allegedly started as a My Chemical Romance fan fiction with their frontman and guitarist or one of their guitarists they have two kind of posing as figures for Edward and Jacob and if you're a fan of the band it's really interesting to watch the Twilight films with them in mind I think the most obvious reference is Edward offhandedly says trust me with the same infliction that they use it in I'm not okay uh, which is the My Chemical Romance song that's on the first book's writing soundtrack that Stephanie Meyer released but when when you think about the album 
album that had come out about a year before the Twilight book came out was very vampire themed. Uh, a lot of their albums have plot and concept and uh, the concept of this one is main character had lost his love and had to kill a hundred vampires to rescue her from death and they took on these vampire-like personas and all of these death and macabre motifs for their, their videos and performances around this time and it's really obvious how that and the public personalities of Gerard Way and Frank Iero clearly influenced Edward and Jacob. Which one is Gerard Way? Edward, I think, is supposed to be Gerard Way. Uh, Interesting. Frank Iero is supposed to be Jacob. Because Frank has always been thought to be a little bit volatile. I disagree with that statement. But I think his aggressiveness on stage is what became Jacob's aggressiveness as a person. They were even later asked to do music for the films because uh of their influence on them. And they said no. And they released their song Vampire Money on their Danger Days album to make fun of the fact that they tried to get them to do music for the films. Oh, how funny. You know, but when I think about the soundtracks, because I love all the soundtracks, they don't quite fit what the soundtracks are going for. I I would have to agree with you on that statement, especially with like the breakout song from the Twilight soundtracks being a thousand years, which is like a very soft ballad at the time. It's interesting how she made what they were at the beginning of their career into characters that were somehow completely different, but also the same. Would you reboot or have a continuation series? I think it would be interesting to do like a 10 to 13 episode season retelling of Twilight that focuses more on a lot of what we missed, maybe with better director. I would still definitely want it live action, and I would love to see the same actors back, but I doubt that it would happen. So the only way I can see it is a continuation series, but then you need to get the blessing of Stephanie Meyer and do a continuation series because I think the only hope would be shifting the focus from Bella and Edward to Renesmee. And that would be interesting. If Bella can't take down the Volturi, it's going to have to be Renesmee on Renesmee's shoulders. The actress who played her as a child is still active now. And I, I saw her in a trailer enough. for something recently. Yeah. She's old enough. I think she might be roughly the same age now that Kristen Stewart was when she first started the Twilight series. We sure know that Taylor Lautner isn't doing anything. So, <laughs> But though, I don't think he wants to come back. Probably not. I'm like currently in a state of being very mad at him for him not coming back to be Shark Boy in the new Shark Boy and Lava Girl thing. I don't know if he was asked and I don't know whose fault it was and I don't really care. <laughs> That's where you draw the line. <laughs> yeah, That's right. where I draw the line. <laughs> yeah. I cold hardly want to reboot it like a 10 to 13 episode five season series. I agree. I think the meat is there and, there... The, and the movies didn't have the bones. If there was a television show that can build it into something more worthwhile, I'd be on board with that. Would I watch it? I don't know. Maybe not, but... No. I would definitely be 100% behind it. I'd be like, yeah, this is something we need because, again, there's good ideas here. I would watch whatever they put out Mm -hmm. for this just out of curiosity to see, you know, where they would take it. I would watch the first couple episodes. I see it playing out like how I would script it and plot out the seasons. But though, I don't think I would ever get the blessing of Stephanie Myers because I would diverge a bit. As a writer, I can't not have the Collins not deal with the Valtori in some way. to sort of upend that society rule or change the Volturi enough to make them more omnipresent. There are loopholes, like how do they police? And you're right, it would be politics heavy. And I'm afraid that many of the fans of the books and the movies may not like what I interpret as a reboot because it 
would sort of drown out the teenage angst and romance. That I, yeah. I would love to see like a Tales from the Twilight Universe mm. series where we did hour long episodes that covered different things that weren't exactly given the depth needed in the films. And, and that's what I sort of have planned in my head. We would actually have a storyline for Leah and we would spend more time on the reservation. And David is right. There is so much meat to these books that someone could explore it. Now, whether or not Stephanie Myers and Summit Entertainment would want someone to do that, that's a whole different story. Not even to mention that we get nothing about werewolves in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. True. All right. So who do you think would enjoy this franchise now? I think Twilight is strongest to the nostalgia crowd. There are so many people like me, I feel like, who really pretended to hate it or had this like superficial aversion to it because of the things that were bad about it. But now as older people can take that, put it aside and just enjoy Twilight as something from youth, something that's funny and cheesy and just fun to watch with your friends and make fun of a little bit. It's definitely a great drinking game franchise. Yes. Oh man, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who likes to drink, this is a good one for you. Keep chugging until they stop staring. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, God. Take a shot every time Taylor launders without a shirt. Oh, oh yeah. God. <laughs> You're alcohol <laughs> poisoning. I agree. We could have yearly showings at some point where someone is clever enough to make it like an annual event where we have yeah. similar rituals. There could be some kind of audience involvement or audience scripting <laughs> that makes this a yearly event that could be really interesting and really fun, especially in a big theater setting. Like that first film, you would play that like during prom season because <laughs> it all takes place during that season, like during that time anyway. Oh my God. Yeah, that would be perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. It is one of those films that's in a sense of comfort food type watching. All right. So do you have any suggestions for similar shows or franchises that viewers might also enjoy if they enjoy Twilight? If you really like the YA vampire romance, I would recommend the House of Night book series. It's just like jam packed with vampire drama and who's hooking up with who. And it's wonderful. I have a crush on like half the cast. There's some LGBT rep in the books and it's a very long series. You're not going to run out of books. They're like 12 deep. If you're looking for a more serious vampire lore thing, Castlevania on Netflix is phenomenal. Oh Um, man, I forgot to write that in. Yeah, that's a good one. Seriously, one of the best vampire properties I have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I think Bram Stoker would be proud. I wrote that in the vampire paper I wrote this semester. Nice. It was a very bold claim and I believe in it. (laughs) We have a few that we're going to throw at you and see what you think. So I'll start out with this one. It's called uh, Lua Vermila. Oh, sorry. That's the Portuguese show, isn't it? Yes. Translates to Red Moon, teen television series with similar premise, but different in story. I actually found episodes of YouTube on YouTube of it and doesn't have reliable English subtitles. So it's kind of hard to recommend if you don't know Portuguese, but right. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. I didn't even know it existed. You know, I'm surprised Netflix didn't pick that up. <laughs> oh, man. And put it on the a streaming site. There's also a Jim Jarmusch film called Only Lovers Left Alive about a romance between two vampires played by Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. I haven't watched oh, it. Oh, my God. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you heard of this? As like a Tom Hiddleston fan, I know that it exists. I haven't seen it in full, but him and Tilda Swinton are both very wonderful actors. Yes. Solid recommendation. You have to breed error of caution because Jarmish isn't for everybody. I went more the YA route. I went with Beautiful Creatures. Uh, I remember Beautiful Creatures. <laughs> I feel like tonally, it's the closest to Twilight that I could find, except the genders are reversed where it's a human teen boy who falls in love with a supernatural creature. I definitely see the similar the similarities in the writing I between Twilight and Beautiful Creatures. I, I think if you're looking for similarity, that's as close as you're going to get. Yeah. The way that they did the Shannara Chronicles, the books are a little <gasps> more heavy than uh-huh. Twilight. It's like if you like Twilight in Lord of the Rings had a, like an out of wedlock baby. That's what the Shannara Chronicles kind of are. And then the TV show takes the YA fan service a little bit further. I agree with your statement on the Shannara Chronicles. Um, I also put in Warm Bodies because it's about a teenage girl that sees red flags and should acknowledge and ignores them. them. And ignores them. Uh, one just popped in my head real quick. If you like Christine Hardwick and you like Nikki Reed who plays Rosalie, check out 13. That's right. So another choice is The Host, also uh, adapted from Sachin Meyer's books. If you like the same type of writing and protagonist like Bella, you can make arguments though I feel like the main character in The Host is a little bit more well-rounded. She, she's got some Thing. Sarsi Ronan, right? Play the main character in that movie. Yeah. Searsha. <laughs> Searsha. Searsha. Ah, I don't know why I thought Sarsi. Searsha Ronan. Like, if you were dissatisfied with Bella not going up with a full Tory and you want a main character that's actually going to put others' needs over her own, the host might be a nice little um, something to experience alongside with Twilight. Now, on my head, is just like bouncing with like YA series recommendations. <laughs> There's so many. You know what? Rapid fire. <laughs> the Selection franchise by Kiera Cass. If you just want like straight romance and, right. and drama, no supernaturals involved, that's a fun one. The Red Queen series by Victoria Aviar did not like how it ended, but the rest of it is pretty damn good. Female protagonist that actually makes unexpected decisions. I would like anti-recommend Hush Hush. I did not like those. They have a similar tone with the love triangle between a normal girl and two different supernatural uh, features. The author just made it, it was too frustrating. She pushed the limits of my kindness too far. So if we're doing unrecommendations, <laughs> I sh- we need to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. Because there is Don't a- start me, man. Oh, God. I, I think it's well known that Fifty Shades of Grey was inspired by Twilight. I started out as fan fiction. Anyone who likes Twilight and enjoys this film series and think that they should jump onto Fifty Shades of Grey, spare yourself the pain. Oh, man. All right. So I'm going to throw out two recommendations just to give some justice to Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. Right. Kristen Stewart, personal shopper. Robert Pattinson, good time. All right. We did it. We talked about the Twilight Saga. Yay. I mean, we did it. I mean, we talked about vampire lore, uh, English literature. We found the good. We found the not so good. And I think we all learned a little bit something new today. Well, we learned that <laughs> Romeo and I will be responsible for the spinoff series as soon as Stephanie <laughs> Meyer contacts us. And we're going to have a, the yearly um, Twilight group watchings and theaters there you go. across the nation. <laughs> <laughs> well, Max, thanks so much for joining us. If you ever want to come back. There are yes. plenty of series that I could go on about, so I would love to be back sometime. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great to hear. We're glad you had a good time. We, we're 
we're really enjoying doing the show and we're always looking for new people to be guests on our show. And we're really glad we found you. Um, where can people find you? You can find me on most platforms. If I don't want you to find me there, then you won't be able to find me under this username. Um, it's Arcane Goth on most platforms. You can also find me floating around Emerald City Game Masters Guild online in their gaming schedule and streams. Awesome. All right. With all that being said, listeners, stay tuned for final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back. You know, Romeo, when you first approached Twilight to me, I laughed at your face. Not in person because we're still in quarantine. It felt like it was in person. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say this discussion really turned out great because Max brought so much to the table, more than what we could have ever imagined for this episode. And in the same way where I had a lot of fun with Home Alone because there's so much to enjoy but also make fun of about the franchise, you were able to really really have fun and make a lot of great points about the good things about Twilight, but also take little jabs at it here and there when you had your opportunity. I, yeah. I'm sure this was one of you, one of your more fun discussions. It was. I think like Max, I do have an, a, an, an affection for vampire lore. It's just fascinating because with monster mythologies, you can have different things that makes it unique and different. So it's not derivative of each other. And I will applaud Stephanie Myers. She took some big swings whether you like those changes or not they are iconic very true it was cool to have max because not to age ourselves but max is if you pick up on the clues noticeably younger than us so when these books came out max was very young when the movies came out still fairly young in comparison to the two of us so having that younger perspective of the person who did fanboy over edward colin be on tumblr and all these other social media pages that really boom among teenagers yeah it was really cool to have someone like that because I'll be honest I I never expected to have a guest like that so soon and which goes back to say that I'm really glad that we were able to get connected with Max because Max is a guest unlike any other we've had so far. Max is awesome very knowledgeable and a fellow English major so Max brings that awesome literary critique it was helpful to have someone else who's read almost the entire saga that is Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. Let's go ahead and get to some of the things that we just wanted to clarify from the episode. So I mentioned that Robert Pattinson was talking about how he wasn't working out for the Batman. That is true to a degree. I got that from a GQ article titled Robert Pattinson, A Dispatch from Isolation by Zach Barron, which came out back on May 12th, 2020. Worth checking out. And you'll see the little bit about him saying that in quarantine, he hasn't really been working out. And he even references that Zoe Kravitz has been working out five days a week <laughs> right <laughs> well he's just kind of taking it easy and not pushing himself so another one that you and i were both curious about so the thing about researching is i usually do the fact checking a lot because i'm the one who edits the podcast even this one romeo said to himself i have to look this up <laughs> right and that is is taylor lautner native taylor lautner has stated that he has quote 
distant, end quote, Native American ancestry through his mother. Romeo, what are your thoughts on Taylor Lautner's distant Native American ancestry? <laughs> you know, and, and, and this comes up in, an, in, a, in a weird time, too, because not too long ago, there's a show that was imported from Canada that's not currently airing on the CW called Trickster. It's about a um, teenage boy that's of Native descent who is dealing with a trickster god from Native American or rather Native culture or mythology. And the show actually got canceled because the creator of the adaptation and the director, Michelle Latimer, came out saying that she was belonging to one of the indigenous tribes in Canada. So it's kind of circling back because she claimed that it was oral history. And we also heard this a lot during the campaign with Senator Elizabeth Warren, who also said that through oral history, it's always from the mom's side too, which is one of the things that just blows me there from the dad's side, that she was also Native. It's just weird. Even though... To Elizabeth Warren's thing, she did take a DNA test, but however, the tribal leaders did say that because you took a DNA test doesn't necessarily mean you are, because they have their own way of authenticating whether or not you did belong to a certain tribe, because they have rosters, at least as best as they can obtain because of the atrocities. One of the best things I've heard during this whole controversy about someone claiming Native ancestry is that they want the prestige that the so-called ancestry gives you but with none of the hardships mm-hmm. that endures with that. That's so poignant when you think about a lot of these people who are claiming. And not to say that Taylor Lautner isn't, but you notice how much that disappeared after Twilight ended. Because I'm a little bit suspicious about this. I feel like it was like a PR thing. So it would get people off their backs because a lot of the other members of the wolf pack, shall we call them, do have legitimate claims of Native American ancestry. It's tough because the only person who actually knows is Taylor Lautner. And I guess we have to give him the benefit of the doubt until something else comes out. Which honestly, if it ever does, are we really going to care? Yeah. No, one's, no one's digging until they hear our podcast and we store up something. But other than that, we're good. Moving on. We are trying to pinpoint the location of Alice's mental facility that she was in before uniting with the Collins. And she was born in Biloxi, Mississippi. So I believe she was in Mississippi at that mental facility. I don't yeah, really know it, what else to say. It, it was very vague. And finally, we didn't know the actress's name who played Renesme. Her name is Mackenzie Foy. And the reason we bring this up is because while during the portion of the episode when we were talking about reboots and continuation series, we did say that if there were to be a continuation series, maybe Renesmee could be the one who takes on the Volturi. And we also said you could use the same actress because she's around the same age that Kristen Stewart was when she was in Twilight. So not only is Mackenzie Foy 20, you might think, oh, maybe she's entering the little older part now. If you look at photos of her, she looks younger than 20. So she can actually still pull it off. Or, but even if you make her like a young adult, it's not the end of the world, you know? Right. I mean, but, you know how many adults play teenagers? It's laughable. Riverdale is a prime example. Archie Andrews does not look like a teenager. And down the road, there's a particular franchise we're going to be talking about where the teenagers are especially not teenager looking. And I'm going to just leave it at that. Okay, now we got that all out of the way. It is time to get into the mailbag. Got nothing in the mailbag. We have quite the streak going. 
like I remember in the beginning we had a couple comments we had a couple questions but since it's been a little quiet if you guys ever want to reach us because we know you're listening all right we check the plays we know we have listeners you can reach us at bingeessentials at gmail.com say whatever you want we'll recite it on the podcast because we like to hear other people's opinions of how the episodes have gone if you listen to us on apple podcasts then we highly recommend that you give us a rating and a review five stars would be really great and review would be even better that would mean the world to us because it really helps with the algorithms you can find us on facebook at binge essentials if you just search that we should come up if you ever want to reach romeo that's the best way to do it same with instagram at binge essentials if you ever want to reach me david rocha binge on instagram and at david rocha radio on twitter time to reveal next week's episode next week we're doing the good place that's right the nbc comedy that starred ted danson and Kristen bell and joining us to talk about the good place is a good friend of mine and a professor of psychology jamie yinks it was a very fun discussion to be had and we very much look forward to you guys hearing it with all that being said thanks for listening catch you guys next week 